0: Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand, we would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. When I was a kid, about 12 years old, my best friend Bob May and I always went down to the woods that was right behind Perkins Junior High School. We played in that woods all the time. And toward the western end of the wood, there was a swamp. We always thought of the swamp as a scary place to go, but I don't know why. When we were 12, we decided we need to go into that swamp. We went in about 75 feet, and by then the mud was sucking our shoes off, and we decided that had not been a particularly good idea, so we turned around, headed back, took us forever to get out of there. We made a vow to each other we would never go into the swamplands again. That's what we called it. The swamplands. The very next day, right after that, I came down with shingles in my right eye that almost blinded me in that eye, which I always blamed for having gone into the swamplands. But it's extremely important to note that is not good science. I'm just saying. But what I decided was true at the time, a lot of life is lived in the swamplands. Aeschylus, the Greek ancient writer, said, it has been ordained by the gods that the only path to wisdom is through suffering, which makes me think, am I really all that interested in wisdom? But suffering goes with us no matter what. The four great truths, the four noble truths, Buddha said, the first is life, is suffering and that word suffering dukkha, means suffering but it also means impermanent and also means interconnected that life is suffering impermanent and interconnected sounds delightful doesn't it you know i think we're the only species that is alone and yet spends most of our time together with others but you think about it we arrive alone and we depart Alone. I mean, surely there are those welcoming us when we arrive, happy to see us come. Nowadays, everybody does a gender reveal party. And evidently, one of the important aspects of a gender reveal party is to make sure someone is physically injured in the process. Not sure how I feel about gender reveal parties. If they had done one for me, it would not have turned out all that well. I'm just saying. But we want to welcome the arrival of new babies, and we love bringing that new life into the world. Everybody wants to hug and kiss on the new babies. And yet that child is going to recognize before long that they came into the world alone. A lot of the time they're going to spend alone, and when the time comes, they're going to leave it alone. Sure. There are those who will be running alongside them on the platform when their train finally leaves on its final departure. Those who will run to the very end of the platform, looking and watching as the train disappears in the distance. But it's you alone who is on that train. You know, it's interesting to me to be at that stage in my life where I realize the people I'm on the journey with now are probably the same people who are going to be running along that platform next to me when it's time for me to depart this journey. It's a sobering thought. It's also a comforting thought. So we arrive alone, we depart alone, but we spend a good bit of our lives in community with others. So what are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about what does it take for your soul To embrace enough vulnerability to live authentically in the presence of others. I said that slowly because it's not an easy concept. What is it going to take for your soul to be able to embrace enough willingness to live vulnerably to then move on into a relationship that is authentic in the presence of others? And one more time. What does it take for your soul? What does your soul need to be able to embrace enough, enough vulnerability, to be able to live authentically in the presence of others? That is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're in our series on directions. And three weeks ago, I talked about why religion even exists in the world, where it came from. Two weeks ago, Christy talked about where religion is going, and particularly where this church is going. I loved what she said and the manner in which she said it. I was in Boston that weekend, but I actually watched it twice. I enjoyed it. Then John talked last week about the inward journey that all of us are on. And we're going to talk a little bit about that message later on tonight. And then tonight we talk about withward, how we journey together. What does our soul need to embrace enough vulnerability to live authentically in the presence of others? That is where we're going. And I think there are three things necessary for us to be able to do that. The first one is that we have to be able to accept ourselves just as we are, and more than that, we have to be able to love ourselves just as we are. Religion has not been particularly good at that, teaching us to love ourselves, and yet that's exactly what's called for, to recognize that God, however you understand God to be, loves you exactly as you are, and being able, therefore, to love yourself just as you are, which you might have noticed is not always easy to do. Over the last 10 days, I've had at least three specific circumstances in which I have seen myself, parts of myself come out that I did not even know were there to possibly come out. I saw new parts to myself, three of them in 10 days that I did not like brought to my attention by my family, delightful, not exactly. What makes it even more difficult for me is, I mean really, in 10 days you find three new things about yourself that you really don't like and you're 70 years old. I mean, does this ever stop? Well, the truth is... If your soul is willing to embrace enough vulnerability to live authentically in the presence of others, nope, doesn't ever stop. continues right to the end of this life, and I think probably into the life that comes. But it's necessary, therefore, for us to be able to love ourselves as we are. And I have gotten to that point in life. I didn't beat myself up for those things. I was happy to recognize them. I want to change them, but I also love myself as I am because it's the only decent way to live. The second thing necessary for us to be able to embrace enough vulnerability to live authentically in the presence of others is to be willing to embrace life as it is. Not life as we wish it to be. Not even life as we're going to work hard to make it to be. But life as it is. For decades, I wondered why I was transgender. I studied everything I could study on the subject. It was critically important for me to know why I was transgender. And the truth is, we don't know why anyone is transgender. Three years ago, I did a -a two-and-a-half-hour interview with Radiolab, my favorite show on NPR. It never aired. It never aired because they decided being a science-based show that there just wasn't enough science on what it means to be transgender, so they did a series of shows on what it means to be intersex instead. I've had to come to embrace life as it is, to recognize it really doesn't matter why or what caused me to be transgender, just that I am, and better for me to live into it. You know, the great leader of the United Nations, Secretary General of the 1950s, died tragically in a plane crash in the fall of 1961, Dag Hammarskjöld. Shortly before he died, wrote fascinating words. Did he know his death was coming? He said, Night is drawing nigh for all that has been, thanks, for all that shall be, yes, Night is drawing nigh for all that has been thanks, for all that shall be, yes. Now that is someone accepting life as it is, not as they wish it to be, not as they're working to make it be, but accepting life as it is. I've been haunted and attracted by those words for a couple of decades now. I'm nowhere near getting there. It's aspirational. But I do hope I, in fact, can, before the end of my days, get to the point where I can say, at least on Tuesdays and Thursdays, for all that has been, thanks. For all that shall be, yes. My f- three favorite books for being able to accept life as it is would be his book, Markings, where you find those words, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, and Christian Wyman's book, My Bright Abyss. All three of those can help us to understand that we need to accept life as it is. And the third thing I think that is necessary for us to be able to embrace enough vulnerability to learn to live authentically with others is to accept the reality that a lot of life is going to be lived in the swamplands. We Americans seem to take an offense at that. I mean, it's written into our Constitution. We have the right for the pursuit of happiness, but somehow we think we have the right for happiness. And when we find ourselves in the swamp lands of the soul, well, we take that as a personal affront, and we deny that we're there, and we work hard to distance ourselves from it. And so we do anything we can to avoid the fact that we're living at the moment in the swamp lands of the soul. Exercising myself to distraction, that's my choice for how I do it, whether that's running or mountain biking. I'll run six days a week, anything, to not have to live in the swamp lands. Other people drink themselves to distraction. Not wanting to accept life in the swamp lands, extremely dangerous. Still others work themselves to distraction. What if? What if we just accepted what people in many developing nations know, a lot of our lives is lived in the swamplands. And the best thing to do is just to find other people who recognize that same truth and to join with them in the middle of the swamplands and figure out how to move forward together. That, I think, is what we're trying to do right here at Left Hand Church. You know, I'm not a fan of religion. Religion is about helping people avoid hell. I'm far more interested in a spiritual community because I define a spiritual community differently. A spiritual community, like left-hand church, is for people who've already been to hell. Religion is for those trying to avoid hell. A spiritual community is for those who've already been to hell. And so what we want is to create life together in the Swamplands, where we can join together with other like-minded souls and figure out how to move forward in our lives together. I think one of the best ways to see how that is actually done is looking at Jesus' time with his disciples. In the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus finds out that his best friend, Lazarus, has died. And he tells the disciples that they're going into Judea. They're like, um, they want to kill you? In Judea? He said, yeah, we're going anyway. And Thomas speaks up, and what does he say? He says, oh, let us go also, that we may die with him. Now, what he's saying there is that he's decided who he's going to hang out with in the swamplands, who he's going to move forward with. It's Jesus and the rest of the disciples. And come what may, that is his spiritual community. Even if it means they go into Judea and Jesus is killed and they are killed. Same thing kind of happens in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus has just told the disciples one of them is going to betray him, one of them is going to deny him, and he's going to leave. Not comforting words. So he wants to comfort them and he says, In my father's house are a lot of rooms. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'll come back, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going." Utterly incomprehensible. Who admits it? Ah, it's the same Thomas. And what does he say? We do not know where you're going. How would we know the way? And I love what Jesus says, oh, Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Just follow me. We're a church, a Christian church, which means that we've decided to travel through the swamp lands together in the direction of Jesus. We want to love God, love our neighbors, and love ourselves. That's one of the things that defines us as a community. We want to do the best we can to follow Jesus. But there was one other time, I think when the disciples figured out how to work through the swamp lands together. Jesus is meeting with seven of them. Peter, who has arrogantly said he's better than the rest a number of times, has failed Jesus by denying even knowing him three times. And now they're all having breakfast. And all seven of them, Jesus says to Peter in front of the other sex, Peter, do you unselfishly love me more than the rest of these guys? I mean, the truth is, Peter knows He's failed miserably. Everybody there knows he's failed miserably. There's no way he can say he unselfishly loves Jesus because he knows he doesn't. He knows at the end of the day he's pretty darn selfish. So he says, yeah, I love you, but uses a different word for love. He says, I have tender affection for you. Jesus says, okay. Jesus says to him again, do you unselfishly love me? Again, very aware of his failings. He says, oh, I have tender affection for you. And Jesus says, okay. And then a third time he says, do you love me? And this time he uses his word for love. He says, do you have tender affection for me? And Peter says, oh, you know I do. And Jesus says, okay. And all seven of them know exactly what he's saying. He's saying, if you guys can't accept yourselves as you are, if you can't love yourselves, you're not going to be able to love your neighbor. Peter, it's okay. You are human. You messed up. How do we learn to make sure our souls can embrace enough vulnerability? To live authentically in the presence of others, I think we do it by loving ourselves, by embracing life as it is, not as we wish it would be, and by acknowledging that a lot of life is lived in the swamplands. And by finding a group of like-minded fellow travelers and traveling together in the direction of Jesus. That is who we are. So as a part of that process of traveling together through the swamplands, a number of you reached out to us in the last week because we have a lot of faithful questioners here, you were concerned about some of the things we messaged to you last week. We're concerned about those things, too. And we want to make sure we clarify and correct some of what was said last week on the subject of honoring parents and on the subject of forgiving parents. So I talked four weeks ago about how we can honor our parents. I said the best way to honor your parents is to live an honorable life. It's that simple. If you live an honorable life, you're honoring your parents, whether your parents recognize that or not. It's not up to you to convince them to understand you're living an honorable life. It's just to live one. And to forgive your parents, that's one of the most unfortunate passages in all of scripture, because there are a lot of times you, in fact, should not be forgiving your parents. A lot of us here grew up with abuse by a family member. And when you're abused by a family member, you're told, convinced by the perpetrator, that it was your fault that you were the cause of your own abuse and everyone who's under the sway of that perpetrator tells you that it's your fault and you are filled with endless shame, the last thing you need to do is forgive that parent. Forgiveness offered prematurely is damaging to everyone. So what do you need to do? You need to do whatever work you need to do to get you to the point where you can finally say, Oh God, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. It's not your fault. It wasn't your fault. It was never your fault. It was the sin of your perpetrator. And now, once you understand that, the healing can begin And a lot of us find that a lot more healing could arrive to us if the person who abused us could get to the point where they're willing to admit the specific nature and, in fact, the specific occurrences of that abuse. I wanted so badly for my abuser to admit exactly what had been done to me. We both knew exactly what had been done, but I tried for a very long time and could not even get that person to say, oh, I made a few mistakes when you were growing up. Nope, I didn't even get that. And I certainly never did get an acknowledgement of specific things that we both knew had happened. Had that been acknowledged, it might have been a little easier for me to heal. And it might have been possible for me at some point to offer forgiveness it's easier to offer forgiveness for someone who requests it but it was never requested and i stood over her casket 20 months ago and the feeling i had was not forgiveness the feeling i had was anger and it's all right it's all right maybe At some point, forgiveness comes for us. Maybe it doesn't. That's not the important point. The important point is for you to heal from what was done to you. That's the important point. And we messaged something that said something else last week. It wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. As a church, as a community, we want to live with enough vulnerability to live authentically in the presence of others. When we mess up, we'll tell you, we're your leaders (laughs) trying to be on this journey through the swamplands. We're glad you're with us. We're glad so many of you faithful questioners brought those questions to us and we will do our best because here's what we want to be we want to be a community of those who aren't afraid of hell but that have already been through it who are willing to embrace life in the swamplands and willing to walk together in the direction of dry land will you pray with me God, thank you. Thank you for loving us as we are. Thank you for helping so many of us here heal from uh, the things we went through with our parent or parents. Thank you for giving us a congregation that's willing to say the difficult things And thank you for giving us the chance to move together through the swamplands, doing our best to follow Jesus, loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self, till we can finally get to the dry land together. For this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.